Welcome to Latino Vote 21, a pop-up podcast from Gotham Gazette. I am Eli Valentin, a contributing Gotham Gazette columnist and political analyst. This podcast series accompanies my Gotham Gazette column series of the same name about the Latinx vote and the consequential 2021 New York City elections. While counting continues, in part a result of the new ranked choice voting process, a number of city council races continue to have clear front runners. Based on these preliminary results, we are certain that the next council class will have more women. In fact, it is quite possible that a majority of the incoming council members will be women. Indeed, it is a historic moment. Many of those women are Latinas. In Manhattan, for instance, Carmen de la Rosa appears to be headed to a victory. Carlina Rivera and Diana Ayala, both incumbents, are also headed to victory. In Queens, Tiffany Caban is ahead by a wide margin. In the Bronx, Marjorie Velasquez is ahead. Amanda Farias is as well. And in the 14th Council District, Pierina Sanchez is ahead by a wide margin. Pierina Sanchez joins us today in this latest episode of Latino Vote 21. Pierina is a born and bred Bronxite, a product of public schools, a graduate of Harvard University and received a master's in public administration from Princeton University. She has served as a staffer in the city council and in the Obama administration as well. More recently, she was a senior advisor for housing economic development and labor in City Hall. And in addition to her public service, Pierina is a visiting assistant professor at the Pratt Institute. It is such an honor, Pierina, to have you join us for this latest episode in Latino Vote 21. Welcome. Thank you so much, Eli. Really happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for being here. I want to get right to it. Um, counting continues at the Board of Elections as a result of this new ranked choice uh, voting process, which I have mentioned. But it appears that you may be headed um, to an eventual certification of your victory. I, I think your, your, your margin is wide enough uh, at this point. And, and as you said before we started recording, you, you knocked on wood. So, but it, it appears we're, we're, we may be headed that way. And in one of my columns, I made note of your race as one of the ones to watch in the Bronx because the race featured a number of, of candidates that um, were formidable. They were known in the community, um, maxed out in public funds. And on the election night, you were ahead and you continue to be ahead by an impressive margin. So clearly, voters were attracted to your candidacy. So I'm wondering, what what do you feel made that connection uh, with voters possible? I know you're from that community and um, you heard a lot from voters and voters spoke. So uh, please feel free to share some of this, uh, some of these experiences. And and again, what what you feel made that connection possible with, with voters in your district? Absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, just looking at the early numbers, this does appear to be the highest ever turnout for a municipal race in our district. Um, we, we, we have very low voter turnout historically here, but we've been on an upward trend for a while and approaching 9,000 is, it just, it makes me happy, right? It, it makes me happy to see more of us involved, more of us tuning in. But you know, yeah, I, I like you said, I, I ran I ran a, in a race that had a, a lot of impressive candidates that had, you know, folks with different connections to the community. And, and I do think, you know, that that one of the biggest 
reasons that that I was able to connect with uh, with our neighbors or more of our neighbors is because we have so much hope here, right? When when we see one of our own that is thriving and that is doing well, we want to lift that up, right? We want to lift that up and we want everybody to see it and we want to be like, hey, look, look what happens, look what happens when when you know when we have the resources, when we have the investments, and I think that that story of of you know for for me coming from such humble roots, I always talk about my migration story and then the story of us growing up here in, in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Like my my dad, you know, sold peanuts uh, in the streets of Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic, no shoes on, right? He he asked for money on on the streets, right? My my parent, my mom lived in a in a small little house uh, with you know, it was it was basically like one room, the equivalent to like a studio apartment with her eight siblings and her parents in Santo Domingo. They migrate here to this country, and we're street vendors, right? My dad used to sell mixtapes. I still have. Uh, uncles who are on Fordham Road, you know, some of those folks are my uncles, right? Wow. Um, who have been doing that for, for 40 years that we've been in this country. And so to, to grow up on public assistance, to, to go through everything that we went through, not being able to go on school trips because we didn't have enough money, right? To, we didn't know where the food was going to come from. To come from that to getting full scholarships to go to Harvard and then Princeton, to working in, like you said, in, in the mayor's office, to working in the White House, I think that the people in the community, our neighbors, our primos, our tias and tios, they, they see that and they say, yes, I know, I know we can, I know we can, and I know we can do it. And that that to me is, is at the core of, of who I am, what my career has been about, and, and what I want to do as a, as a legislature legislator is is to create those opportunities, right? I believe that, you know, a, a safer community, a higher quality of life, a, you know, in seeing seeing more and more of, of these examples, I'm 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 but one, right? Uh, but seeing more and more of these examples in our community of, you know, our our potential being tapped, that that is that is what it means to you know make sure that our budget is reflecting that, right? So if our budget is investing in in the social programs, if our if our budget if we're fully funding summer youth employment program, if we're fully funding after school programs, you know if if we're if we're able to live in dignity in, in our housing with with higher housing quality, like those that conversation and that thread, you know speaking speaking to that with with neighbors at the doors with masks, you know and social distance and everything else that that we that we um, had to do because of the pandemic, I think that's what connected with people, hmm. right? And just just doing that day after day. I, I started I started um, door knocking and making calls to voters and everything like that back back in 2020. Right? Like I, I didn't I didn't just start this race. Right. And so having that early start and, and getting to have so many of those conversations, I think that's that's what really helped the most. I'm wondering what inspired you to get into public service. Uh, and and again, I mean, your your story is so inspirational. Um, you you it, come from humble roots, as you have described, and um, and now you're, you're headed to this. Looks like it looks like you're headed to the city council. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll wait for this to to continue and um, the, the the counting process. But um, it, it appears you're headed that way, and and indeed it is an incredible story of of what can be made possible. Um, and so, but I'm I'm wondering what what inspired your 
your, your passion for public service, it, it seems like you, you kind of had an inkling this is where you were headed early on and you prepared yourself academically. Uh, when we spoke, you, you mentioned you came right back to the Bronx. You came right back to your community and you began to serve. You worked in the city council um, a decade ago. You served in the community board. I mean, so what, what inspired you for, for public service? Because unfortunately, uh, many of our young ones, um, they, they don't think of public service as the, the, the first thing, right? Um, and at, at least vocationally. So just just wondering what, what was that, that spark in your own life? Yeah, I um I was raised by by incredible women in my life. Um, my my mom, my aunts. Um, you know they they are they have limited English proficiency. They, you know, like I like I said, you know, we we always we always struggled, right? But one thing that never never ever ever got in the way of of anything was was my mom and my tias. Their their fight for their kids, right? No matter what they had going against them. If there was a question about one of us being taken advantage of or being, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I have a funny story uh, that I'll tell you. <laughs> but but if, it, if, it, if there ever was a question about one of us being able to get the best or get ahead or get into a program or something like that, they, they figured it out. They were like, my daughter, she was the one, right? Like no matter what they had to do, they, they always did that. Wow. And and so for for me it's you know watching the way that that systems always try to oppress us and oppress them and the way that they found their way to against that is is has been really powerful right growing up so so one one story is is you know when I was growing up one of my earliest memories is I always talk about this is is of a fire that broke out in the middle of the night I mm. must have been some three or four years old. Um, and we lived in over on Andrews Avenue, um, actually across the street from one of our pool sites. It was like very, very, um, wow. it was crazy to, to be there and, and like have this one be one of my most vivid memories. But it was a fire in the middle of the night that that broke out. And I, I just remember my mom screaming, screaming, get up, get up, levant and say, get out, get out of the bed. Right. And my aunts, I had two aunts that lived upstairs in two different apartments and us. So out of six apartments in the building, we, we occupied three. And I remember that, you know, I remember being downstairs and looking up and, and just seeing this, this building in a blaze. And later learning, you know, throughout life that what had happened was that the landlord of that building had, you know, didn't provide heat, didn't provide hot water, didn't, you know, basic services. There were, there were like newborn build, uh, new more, newborn children in the building and still they no no services. And so my mom and my tias and, and a couple of other tenants went to the legal aid society um, and they complained about this, took, took the person to court. And this was a retaliatory fire, right? Like this wow. was something that was started to, to harass and we did eventually get displaced from that building. We we all eventually had to move because it was unbearable the the amount of the amount of you know harassment that they faced. But the fact that they went to the legal aid society, the fact that the legal aid society existed, right? Mm. That it existed and it was there for them to, you know, take advantage of and and be able to 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 elevate their fight in the struggle. Like that's that's one of the very first things that happened to me in my life, right? Was mm. that. And so there you have the confluence of not just, you know, 
women who are powerful and strong and, and willing to fight and willing to stand up for family, but also government services and government you know, resources that are there for the most vulnerable and for the marginalized, right? Mm. So you put that together and, and that is in, in a nutshell what, you know, what, what I've become, right? And, and, and who mm. I've been and, and what I want to, those women in me, right? Mm. Uh, those, the, that struggle in me, that's, that's always what, what's been at the center. And so, you know, it's, it's all about understanding that we are powerful and we are resilient in this community and, and we're going to do everything that we need to do to, to keep food on the table and, and that roof over our head. But there is a role for government and, there, and that role is one of supporting our resilience uh, and ensuring that, that we're able to reach our potential, right? And, mm. and that's in, that looks like investment and that looks like, you know, making sure that our, our concerns are heard um, and are centered. Mm. Mm. You mentioned your mom and your tias, um, and I guess that's a good lead to this next question I have for you, because you will be one of several Latinas um, elected to this new council class, again, um, pending certification and, and the and the conclusion to this counting process. And um, uh, so I'm sure mom and, and the tias are extremely proud of you and, and your accomplishments. Uh, there were also a number of, of non-Latina females elected this year. And in fact, as I mentioned at the beginning, it looks like we, uh, we will make history and have um, a majority female legislative body here in the city of New York. So uh, wondering what, how, how how important do you believe this is for Latino political representation more generally? Uh, because historically we've seen that um, obviously more more men have have been elected. Although I have to say that Latinos and and Latina voters have have not been shy about voting for uh, females for Latinas. I mean, I think about Olga Mendez. Um, in in East Harlem, and you know she was the the first uh, Latina uh, to be elected to a, a state legislative body. Um, Nidia Velasquez, right? I mean, here both here in New York, and um, in fact, in the 14th council district, I was just thinking about this yesterday. Two of the last three council members have been females, yeah. um, and, and I'm including you. I'm 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 being I'm going to use my my religious parlance here and say prophetic, <laughs> right? I'm being prophetic here, <laughs> but but we we are expecting this to to possibly play out. So you would be uh, the second uh, Latina. Uh, or the, the second of the last three representatives in the 14th council district, the last Latina was Maria Baez. So, uh, so I'm just wondering, how do you see this in terms of Latino political representation more, more generally? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, at this point, you know, it's, it's just, it's almost, it's a truism, right? If, if you're not, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, right? Yeah. Like you, you have to, you have to be present to, to, to advocate for yourself. And, and when I say yourself, myself, I mean us, right? Right, like our, our needs, our, our, our struggles uh, in the community. And so for me thinking about, wow, I think we will be one of the only, one of very few legislative bodies in the United States of America that has a match between the number of Latinos in the, in the city and the mm. number of Latinos being represented and the number of Latinos on, on in the legislature, right? So we are about 29% Latino. We, we might 
be looking at a 29% Latino city council. Um, you know, we're, we're still, uh, women, women and Latinos, when you look at us at the state level, we're about half, right? So we're 10% of the legislature, but 20% of the population, right? And when we look at it nationally, the, the same trend, right? We are completely underrepresented. But here's, here's, the, here's the thing for me, to have a city council that is gonna be majority female, to have a city council that is representative of the Latino population um, and the demographics writ large in the city, in the biggest city in the United States of America, yes. the biggest budget, right? A legislature whose legislation, right? Think paid sick leave, think uh, paid time off, think of all of these, all of these ways that New York City has led. We're look, we're looked at as leaders, and so for the most diverse city council in, to be representing the the biggest city of America, which is a leader to the rest of the country, right? It it really means in in a way that we're we're going to be we're going to be demonstrating what Latina representation looks like. We're going to be demonstrating what it what it means to have a diversity of representation, right? And we're we're um you know we're going to be a city council, I think. And again, always knock on wood, uh, but we're going to be a more progressive city council, but also a more diverse, uh, ideologically diverse city council, right? So so we're just going to be a laboratory of. What does it mean when you have women in power? Um, mm. Women, <laughs> women. Um, if you you all can't see me who are listening, but I just did a little dance, right? Because <laughs> in, in a different manner, in a, in a way that is more. Sorry, guys. Right, conciliatory. More, um, more. We we bring we bring folks in, and we we weigh all perspectives in in a manner that. We're, we're trying to reach a negotiation in, in, a, in a way that makes sure that we can negotiate the next time, right? In a conciliatory manner, right? So what does it mean for this leadership, this body that is a leader in the country to be as diverse as we're gonna be? It's gonna be great, right? Like we're, we're gonna be at the table and we're gonna be, you, you, can't, you can't forget yourself <laughs> if, you're, if you're already there. And so it's, it's the, the problems that we face in our community of you know, not not just the housing crisis, not just a crisis where one job isn't enough to pay your bills, not just a crisis where our schools are underfunded, but the fact that we know exactly how that is coming to play in our community, right? In in our in our community, for example, we it's it's very frustrating because it's happening right now. We have resources, but we can't access them because of language barriers. We have resources, but we can't access them because of a digital divide, right? So to have our experiences front and center while we lead in, in a more diverse body, in, in a body that is leading the nation, is just going to be such a, it's a harbinger of what's to come for the rest of the country. And, mm. and I have so much hope in that. I'm glad you, you mentioned some of these challenges. Uh, you, you seem to really have your finger on, on the pulse of, of some of these obstacles and, and challenges that our people face. So I'm, I'm wondering um, if we could speak about our, our first hundred days in in Pierina Sanchez's uh, tenure at the city council. What, what would what would what would you tackle first? What what do you see as uh, being pivotal um, or being at the forefront of when it comes to the 14th council district and even the city, the city at large, right at the larger level, because while you represent a district, but you will be voting on bills that impact 
the entire city of New York. But 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 thinking first home based, right? What 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 do you see as some of the biggest challenges that you feel you need to tackle first? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I I always I always start by by recognizing the fact that. In, in Council District 14 and in so many of our neighboring districts and districts like ours in the, in the city, and I'm a regional planner by background, right? So this the story of District 14 replicates in Newark, in you know, New Haven, in Trenton, right? We we have the same, we have the same issue of, of inequality. A deep racialized intergenerational inequality is, is our reality, right? And so with that in the crosshairs, that to me you know, signifies that we have to talk about the challenges and meet the challenges that we're facing today. The emergency, you know, the, the emergency rental assistance program that's coming from the state need to make sure that it makes it all the way in, in, on the ground and everything like that. But in terms of tackling that intergenerational inequality, I think about ownership and I think about wealth creation, right? And so one of the first things that, that I want to focus on is on you know, expanding home ownership opportunities in the city of New York. Uh, in District 14, we are um, we're 96% renters, uh, 4% homeowners, mm. which is, it is an, an insane, insane inequity, right? You look at the rest of the city where we're about 60%, 50 to 60% renters, right? And so it's for us to only have uh, 50 to 60% renters, yeah, in the rest of the city, for us to only have 4% homeowners here, and then for us to have this crisis, this housing crisis, right? Like it, it's in the crosshairs for me, right? Mm. So I'm thinking about, you know, HPD dedicates about a billion dollars a year for um, affordable um, affordable housing, right? So what if more of that were home ownership opportunities? What if we looked at, you know, the, we looked at HDFCs and Michelamas and we looked at ways to expand them? What if we looked at the tools that we have? Um, I remember when I was working in the, in the de Blasio administration, there was a state of the city where he talked about uh, seizing seizing homes or seizing buildings from, from bad actors, from bad landlords. And it, it just called, caused a whole ruckus. And, you know, it was, it, was, it was really, really controversial. But something like that, something like looking at the city's power um, to take over to take over properties that owe property taxes, that owe uh, water liens, and very specifically look at how those powers can be used to grow wealth in communities of color and communities too long left behind. Those are those are some of the things that I want to focus on, you know, starting up front. And then I, it's it's a twin challenge, right? Like that is for the adults in our community now, and and for for the families in our community now, looking at the stabilization, and then always thinking about more and more ways to to make sure we have enough after school programs and, and funding for, for our schools and, and for our kids to, to have activities after school, right? And, and to, to be able to cultivate their brains, um, you know, including after, after, after the school day, right? So, so those are the, the, twin, the twin ways, the twin things that I'm gonna be looking at. And y'all council colleagues, future council colleagues, we gotta work on this together. No, no bill mm-hmm. is passed on its own. So I, I really look forward right. to, uh, you know, to working with others who have the same things in their crosshairs and building the strongest policies that we can to, you know, to build wealth in our communities. Well, you, you will be part of, again, pending certification, um, a, a new class, mostly female um, and um, a, a very, I, I believe, and I say this, especially looking at 
the Latinx political representation that that we may have, a very well prepared um, class of legislators, and and I'll and I'll end with this. Um, I've I've been I've been doing political work for a long time now. Um, I'm I'm no longer a young man. I started in 1996, 95, uh, with Nelson Dennis in East Harlem, who is also a Harvard grad, and then went on to Yale Law School. And um, so yeah, I've I've been observing a lot. I, I I've worked in the field now more uh, do a more of analysis and um, and some more writing. But um, but what I do notice, I do notice a shift. It's it's a generational shift in Latinx political representation, where uh, the folks that really paved the way for the future, they're 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 for the most part no longer around. And and I think the only one left from that generation that really um, opened opened doors for many, um, and and were p- part of that really first to close to second generation of Latino political leaders is really Jose Rivera, who goes back to you know early eighties, um, and but we we're seeing a shift. But part of the shift that I'm noticing is that um, more of our Latino political leaders are much more academically prepared and, and much more attuned to some of the, 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 po- the policy um, nuances to legislation, right? That it, it's more than just voting I, nay, or abstaining from a vote, but it's really digging into the uh, policy details and how that can impact um, our, our folk. And you represent that new generation, Pierina. Um, I mean, Harvard, Princeton. Um, and but but it's also not just that, which is the tools, right, that, that you have been able to obtain, but it's also a passion for your people. And and that is very clear. So so um uh, as as a political observer, I, I'm grateful that your district has you. I'm grateful that you represent, um, no pressure, Pirina, but you represent our people. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I know there are great things to come. Um, and it, it is evident by what you've shared today, but it's evident by your campaign. And um, I'll be looking at how, how your career continues to develop um, in, in City Hall and, and perhaps beyond. Any last words before we leave? <laughs> no, thank, thank you so much. I mean, I, I think the future is bright in so many ways. I, you know, speaking of, of those elected officials who, who've been around for longer, like Jose, I, I'm, I'm very grateful to Congressman Adriano Espaillat, you know, who, yes. who invested in, you know, he supported four young people across the Manhattan and, and the Bronx for, for city council this time around. I'm also thankful for the Bronx Democratic Party, you know, did some unexpected moves, made some unexpected moves. I I frankly did not anticipate that I would have their support, um, mm-hmm. but actually they, they ended up supporting a, a slate of, you know, candidates in, in this city council race that I think represent the future of, of the Bronx, represent the future. And, and I mean, we're, we're all, you know, doing very well right now. So, so maybe this is going to be, be fact. But I, I guess my, my final words would just be to, to say that the, the future is bright, right? We, 
we have the potential and the resilience in our communities, right? And it is it is the work of government um, and government officials to, through very smart, you know, pointed and 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 deliberate policy making, to tap that potential, right? To to make investments available for for our people that are going to be transformational. And so for me, I, I just want to thank my neighbors so much. I like choking up. <laughs> mm. I want, I just, I'm so thankful for for you guys believing in me, believing in this. You know, for for being so hopeful for the future because, you know, we we've, we've been through through hell and back. Um, it like throughout the generations, but especially in this last year, and what this new council represents, and and what you know running running for office at this time you know represents to me, and and I think to so many of us is is that we're going to, we're not going to give up the fight. We're going to keep going and we're going to do so in, in the most tactical and, and, and like wise of ways in, in the most inclusive of ways. And, and I'm just, I'm thankful for that. So thank you so much. No, and we're grateful for you. Uh, we await the, um, the conclusion to this counting process and, and then you, I'm sure you'll be able to celebrate more officially and, and begin to prepare a transition as, as you, you you will you will lift your hand up and 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 take your oath and you will serve your district well I I'm certain of that and and our city as well so Pierina, uh, we wish you the best and uh, we look forward to to what's in store for you and all of us so and thank you again for for joining us and being part of this episode thank you thank you so much I really appreciate it absolutely. We are grateful for having Pierina Sanchez here at Latino Vote 21, this pop-up podcast at Gotham Gazette. Next time, we will have another Latina that has been elected to the city council, Alexa Aviles from Brooklyn, representing or who will be representing the 38th council district in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, New York. We thank you for joining us here at Latino Vote 21.